Hello, and this is The Darkest Timeline, episode three, where we're going to be talking about Labour's ambiguous stance towards uh, what they want from Brexit. Now, I think there's been quite a lot of confusion about this, quite rightly so, because um, we watched that. What was the Brexit debate that was kind of under the radar where Jacob Rees Morgan and a few other rebel well, the, were the real Brexit debate that was not the real Brexit yeah, debate. No one watched. But yeah, the point is, it became very evident through that that every other party has a firm stance on it. So obviously, the Conservatives are going, Brexit's happening. Lib Dems are going, we're sacking off Brexit. Green Party don't want it. Labour are like, it's a thing. Certainly, certainly is a word we've heard of. <laughs> you know, that, that's that's all they're saying, and I think we want to examine kind of why that is. As in, we want to examine Labour's. Yeah, stance sorry, in yeah, Labour's um, kind of ambiguous, nay, uh, non-existent stance on Brexit. To just to refer to that um, real Brexit debate, you had two Conservatives, one Labour, one Green, and it seems the Conservatives are split, probably unevenly, but split either way on Theresa May's deal or the the hard no deal Brexit. Whereas it seems Labour want a Brexit that sort of just kind of is staying in the EU, but slightly worse, because the the facts bear out, whether you've looked at, you know, the, the BBC, The Guardian, um, even the TLDR videos, that Brexit itself isn't uh, a harbinger of good things to come. Even Philip Hammond and the people from the Treasury are saying that there is going to be some economic downturn. Whether you're a Remainer or a Lever, it certainly looks like Brexit isn't, doesn't look good in the tea leaves, not, you know. Uh, it's not the Shangri-La we were um, promised initially. Exactly that. So I, I think on all fronts people were, were misled. So yeah, let's get back to the reasons for which Labour doesn't have this kind of um, unequivocal stance. And it does come down to the results of the referendum itself, or rather the profiling therein. Because we can see that... Uh, Matt will help me with the statistics here. So according to the Office of National Statistics, actually, it says that 70% of Conservative constituencies voted leave... So that's a clear remit. The Tories have no choice but to push Brexit. And the Labour constituencies, 60% of them also voted leave. So that's pretty clear there as well. But what we also see, if you compare and contrast the the 2017 electoral map with the uh, Brexit map, what you see is that Conservative constituencies, yes, they almost certainly voted leave, but are also more into the idea of leaving. So their percentage, uh, the, the, the vote share is perhaps more than 50, 60, sometimes even 70%. Though we see high, very high. In fact, some of the highest leave voters were actually in... Um, Traditional Labour areas. In, in Labour areas, such as Doncaster, 72%. Um, but what we see is that Labour constituencies, because of the way that, that referendum was, it wasn't a, like a general election, whereas, you know, the number of MPs and then whoever gets the majority, it's just a total number of people in the UK who are voting. Uh, so what we see is that Labour constituencies are more internally split on whether or not Brexit's a good idea. So although most of them voted for Brexit overall, what we see is that internally, they're not as strident about it, not as, not as firm on it as the Conservatives okay. are. So that means the Theresa May can afford to peddle either a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit or a red, white and blue Brexit or, or any of these kind of Brexits that now exist. But either way, there's a constant that the Brexit's going to happen if they have their way. Now, the split in the Tories has come after Brexit as a result of what type of um, exit we're going to see. Especially being that we've been presented with two deals over the past yeah. six so months. As you said about this debate, it's kind of um, quite a nice microcosm of how their parties look at the moment. It's they're kind of two parties within one. You've got the the May Conservatives, and you've got the, the Rees-Mogg, ERG, far-right Conservative, anyway. Now, Labour has a split in its voter base, and therefore one can assume within the party itself as well. And this and, goes up to the leadership as well, which is why Corbyn's not able to take a, a, a strong stance. Like, th- I mean, that's why he can't, because he knows that a lot of Labour areas are, I believe, as a party leader, he is supposed to bring together the country, the party... And Brexit is, is as we said before, toxic. It's difficult. You, we can't, he can't just go, 
oh, kiss and make up. Just why can't we all get on? Because no. these factions fundamentally do not get exactly. on. Exactly. There are kind of two cliche, if you like, types of Labour voter who are kind of impossible to reconcile. You've got your more um, old-fashioned working man, cl- um, classic Labour voter, as we can see, generally have voted Leave. However, brought in with the new uh, lefter side of Labour with Corbyn is the kind of younger, university, socially aware, middle-class, hopeful Labour voter who hates Brexit and wants ever- is a citizen of the world and wants to remain. So how do you reconcile these two sides? I would argue it's impossible, so they're really between a rock and a hard place. My feeling would be is that Brexit is a poisonous issue in, in our politics uh, across the whole country because a lot of the arguments are either uh, economic, such as, oh, it's going to get worse, or immigration, and... Most things in the UK aren't immigration, you know, the, the NHS isn't immigration, and homelessness isn't immigration, no, most things aren't immigration, so we need to really not talk so much about immigration. He said using the word immigration more times in a sentence than he's ever done before. It's a very good smokescreen, though. And it works. We probably do need to talk about what the party needs to represent going forward, because it's like we see in the US. Uh, the Republicans are strongly in favour of Trump and whatever it is that he says and does. And the Democrats' stance mostly is well, at least we're not him. That's not being something. That's not not being something. So what sort of future should the Labour Party carve out for themselves going forward? Because, okay, fine, Brexit is a big deal. Massive, huge, in fact. But they could get more people on board with other arguments as well. Let's say all the parties are for Brexit in, in, a different, in different ways or in the same way. But if one party is for Brexit, but also protesting the NHS to make everything more expensive, and the other party is for Brexit and making sure public services are more well-funded and are more freely available, the, the choice should be obvious, I think. So I think Labour need to carve themselves out as a party who are representing the actual uh, working people and the things that they actually want. So even in these hard Brexit areas, what do those people want? They do want more than just get rid of the immigrants. These are people who, as I understand it, and do correct me if I'm wrong, but were in some way uh, left behind or rather fleeced by uh, Margaret Thatcher's government back in the day, which wasn't so long ago, really. It was, what, 30-some years. So what Labour need to do is say, hey, what else can we do for the many, not the few? And I think there could be... The thing is, Brexit is a bit, bit cultish in a way. Labour should come in as a, a strong kind of progressive party, basically, because the average person, whether they're, they're a former coal miner or a London-going hippie liberal, they care about, you know, health care and education and quality of all these things. So the Labour should be the party of representing that because the Conservatives aren't the party of representing that. They're the party of 350,000 people being homeless since they came into power. So how do you think Labour should go about representing the, the centre of the country, basically. Well, I don't think the centre exists in politics anymore. This is what we have to understand, that fence-sitting ain't going to fly anymore. We're so divided on this one issue at the moment that, again, that there is no centre ground for that. You are either leave or you are remain. There is no middle ground. It's, it's binary, isn't it? Yes. So, essentially, it's impossible to, to effectively toe the line. However, a reasonable strategy for Labour at the moment would be kind of continue what they're doing at the moment, cards close to the chest, allying with parties who uh, share common goals. So Like the SNP. The SNP. But then that's what I'm saying. We, and the, they're, they're... The, but the point is, what they're not doing enough is bollocking the Tories constantly for everything. All they're doing at the moment is not offering a solution. They're going, 
We can't agree with the maze deal. No, we don't like that. What are you going to do? Oh, we'll get to that. No, that's not good enough. It needs to be more aggressive all the time. They're at the moment sitting on the fence. It's not going to work. In fact, Corbyn got in, in spite of what everyone thought, as in, sorry, get into Labour leadership, because he wasn't on the fence. He was offering a very specific stance on things that was different from what we've seen for a long time, certainly from what us young people have seen. All that, what they have to do, bollock the Tories for stuff they've actually done. They have to let them make anything up and wait for the Conservatives to implode. However... What they're doing at the moment is pushing for a general election. Doesn't serve their cause. No matter what happens in the general election, you still have to decide on Brexit. And either way, you're, you're going to split your voter base again and potentially fuck your chances in the future. You take someone like Bernie Sanders or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. These people have succeeded and are popular because they are not budging on their policies that they know that the people represent. They're being equal and opposite. Take their rivals. Exactly that. And Jeremy Corbyn is, is great on issues. When there's the the Prime Minister's questions and he's out there and he's saying, you know, there are this many people homeless and this percentage of, of you know, unemployment has gone up and all this sort of thing. He's great on that. But then the Conservatives go, yeah, but at least we're not Labour. And then, like, they do a dab and then... But, but you're a loony and you hate Jews because we've got our mates in the media to say so. But my point of that with is that on all fronts, as you said, Labour need to be not just saying, you guys bad and, you know, we wish that weren't the case. They need to actually be beating them over the head with that forever. Theresa May just had a vote of no confidence. Yes, she won, but that's still a vote of no confidence. That's not a good sign. Labour have tried to be positive in terms of their political thrust. You know, they've said, we are going to do this. We are going to do things well. This is the plan. This is our idea. But they might actually need to play a little bit dirty. They not, And they don't need to lie or, or make any shit up or do fake news. But they can go, look what the Conservatives are doing. They need, and I'm talking, getting this out on Twitter, on the videos, uh, on Facebook and that. They need to be talking about how the Conservatives, in plain English speak, are not serving the people. Because we have learned... The Conservative uh, voters, some of it is a bit uh, sort of hereditary or ancestral. But essentially the point I'm trying to make is Labour having a general election doesn't solve the big Brexit problem. What does is supporting a second referendum. Because they're completely absolved of responsibility there. That You go, well, whatever happens, the people have said, so it's not our our responsibility. If, let's say, there's a second referendum and leave wins once more, fair enough, you can't possibly fuck the negotiations more than May has. (laughs) So it's, it's a free hit, frankly. You are not going to do worse than that. And for me, that is the only thing that, from a Labour perspective, solves the problem, because it is an impasse. Whichever stance they take on Brexit before any kind of people's vote, etc., completely screws them over. My my concern with the people's vote, even though it sounds kind of like a good idea, is I'm really worried about the incoming vitriol and toxicity that will come from it. Because with the, because oh, with it's going to be brutal. It, because with a general election, we could talk about healthcare nursing, all that sort of thing, and you can kind of spread the vitriol. But with the, the people's vote, it's just, is it Brexit or is it not? And it's it's going to be horrible. It's, it's it, also dangerous. It's also like a low-key act of stochastic terrorism. Of essentially, that last vote doesn't matter. Well, try again until you get the right answer. But then it's as we, it's as we said in the first uh, episode of this, that there is no harm in having a second referendum in terms of what the questions are. Yeah. Oh, so I if, agree. If, if, it's if a first, completely unique situation. If the first question is, should we leave? Second question should be, now with the information we've got, how should we leave? And if the information we've got is, is negative, should we remain? Whatever happens, we're in for... The next 20 years are going to be shit. Because we've got two almost equal and opposite um, factions within the country who are never going to forgive each other, particularly with a second referendum. Because whatever happens, if, if Leave wins again, 
the Remainers will be like, I can't believe you've done that again. Why the fuck have you done that? Whereas if Remain wins, you're going to have people up in arms. And to be fair, quite rightly so, because as far as they're aware, we've asked them, we've said, look, once in a lifetime, you never get listened to. We'll listen to you now. <laughs> Only joking, this bollocks. I, I, it, is a, it is a narrative problem, isn't it? That they're saying that another... that. Some people on the, the more Brexiteering side are saying that a people's vote, a second vote, or whatever you want to call it, um, is a, an affront to democracy. And as Caroline Lucas said, you can't you say it's not democratic yeah. to ask the people just what I they think that. again. It's an impossible it, um, problem, isn't it? That's why no bug has <laughs> solved it yet. I, I don't see why the conversation isn't, listen, it's pretty close. I mean, I was saying to my dad the other day, the country as a whole voted 48-52. When... Brexiteers are talking about this, they talk about the 17.4 million. They never talk about the 16 million. Those numbers are pretty close. And the argument very much seems to be 17 million said this, so we're doing that. But when the result is nearly 50-50, surely that's evidence of a, of a kind of an impasse, isn't it? We should go, okay, fine, the majority voted to leave. It is. And it's but a lot of people didn't, and shouldn't we consider that? If, if the vote were 90-10, fine, hardest Brexit possible, whatever, all that. If the result was 50-50, which it basically was, we should go, okay, what is it that the Remainers uh, are on board with as well? They should be considered, and this is why we need to do some sort of maybe alternative Well, um, well then thing. that's how you get May's deal. Regardless of what you think the negotiation yes. process was like or how good her deal is, the fact is that's what she's tried to do. She's tried to pander to remain as well. Yeah. And clearly, it's not word. But then why is it that May's deal is considered bad? Um, because as far as I'm aware, it looks a bit like what Labour would like, have in mind. It's not appeasing anyone. It's staying in a little bit, but worse and with fewer benefits. The crisis, you may as well just stay in. And that's why on Tuesday it, it's going to go. I do have uh, another a perhaps prediction. more... Uh, no, not a prediction. It's, it's very obvious what's going to happen. It's gonna, unless, barring a political miracle, that deal's going down. No matter what she says... Because everyone's determined to oppose it. I mean, the deal that she's going to put forward next week isn't different, is it? It was not different. I, well, then. I don't know. She's gone back this week to Brussels to beg by some accounts. That makes us look bad. Yeah, it does make us look like fucking idiots, but we basically are at this stage. But I, I reckon she could come up and go, look, Juncker's offered to personally give everyone in Britain £10,000. Every politician will still oppose it because it's preemptive. However, when we talk about the referendum, the reason for which is so divisive is because it's a UK referendum. Now, when you look at the results, England, cannot deny, is overwhelmingly leave. Wales, not by the same amount, but Wales definitely voted leave. Northern Ireland is remain. Scotland is, like, proper remain. Every bugger in Scotland wants to be in the EU. I mean, but that's why we the referendum to leave the UK exactly, the EU did, didn't succeed, because they wanted the, to the EU. The cornerstone of the remain within the UK argument for that was, we'll be in the EU, it's un- uncharted territory. If we leave the UK and therefore we're a whole new thing, how do we do that? Now, the EU has said... Scotland, if it cedes from the Union, can remain in the EU. It's only fair that we, we, we treat England and Scotland as separate countries at this point. It, w- it would work. England is happy. We get to, to leave as we want. Scotland gets to remain. They want independence anyway. If, if I guarantee if there's another independence uh, referendum in Scotland next week, they would be out of here like a shop. Yeah, it, it just seems unfair on a sort of United Kingdom front to impose Which is not really, let's be honest, it, well, a divided it's the kingdom. English Empire at this point. La, 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 la. But what I'm saying is it is unfair to impose the will of mostly England on all of the four countries that make up our country. Why, why is the will of the people not being respected there? When the will of the people is spoken about, it's always, always specifically about the 17.4 million people who voted Brexit. 
and never about, well, yeah, but Scotland, uh, Scotland is strongly remain, and Wales is a bit 50-50, and I understand that we the people type people aren't having a nuanced conversation about Brexit, except we are on this podcast. But surely our politicians should be. These people who we've elected in government to go, well, you know, it, the EU ain't perfect and it also isn't awful. They, they should be presenting as though it were a complicated matter and one that is informed by a plurality of opinion, not just, you know, well, we're doing the world of the people and that's all, that's all we're doing now kind of thing. Whatever the, the future's going to be, the rest of the world has less faith in us now. Yep. And Labour really can... I mean, if they're the, present, representing the working people who are... Most people, they have a good chance to rebuild our standing in the world because we're, it kind of. If you look at some of the forecasts, it does appear we're heading towards a wartime economy, without the wartime employment. So, essentially, the only way to break the impasse is people's vote or a splitting up of the union. I can't see anything else happening because yeah. if if they just completely sack off Brexit, say it's unworkable, it's Project Zeus, we can't do it. Everyone said no deal's not an option, although. Boris Johnson looking, okay. says it's more popular. How, however true that is, I don't know. So if all major parties, and indeed the EU say, we really don't want no deal. Then, then no deal's off the table. Which Come leaves on. us with May's deal, which ain't going to work. Some kind of referendum to resolve it. Or the union splitting up. Do you think a splitting of the union would be bad? I know that's like a silly obvious kind of question. Of it'd, be but do, it'd be bad, right? Okay, so that, that means the real sensible option of the two is people's vote. Yeah. What is the rhetoric in favour of the people's vote? The rhetoric is people change their mind. More facts have presented themselves. May's deal ain't popular. Brexit isn't going well. That's that's the rhetoric. We've, we've opened a can of worms that is far deeper and smellier than anyone thought possible. Exactly. Therefore, that. we need to reassess what we're going to do. And what's the rhetoric against the people's vote? Oh, it's not democratic to get the people to talk some more. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg has changed his mind at least twice on the Prime Minister in the past three months. He's had to change his mind, aren't, aren't we? Or just no? Changing your mind based upon new information is intelligent and mature in life, so why can't you extrapolate that to politics? And there are historical Remainers and there are historical Brexiteers, but the fact is, people who are reasonable on either side, we all have new information. Uh, I don't mind putting it out there that, you know, I voted Remain, and had it come out in the past two years, uh, nearly three years now, that leaving was actually better and the EU is actually a bureaucratic nightmare and they're a little bit evil and that sort of thing. Oh, if that's a smoking gun, sign me up, I'm out. But the evidence has borne out that it does look like remaining and reforming the EU. That is key. This is... Let's not lie. We can spin this as a bit of a power move. Go, look at you, look at the chaos we caused you for two and a half years. Now, can we make this thing better? They're like, fine, all right, just don't leave us again. We can use their own bureaucratic <laughs> power against them. For sure. Um, so I guess we should wrap it up as we are getting to... Um, but we are in January 2019, beginning of the year, about 11-ish weeks until we're scheduled to leave. Many predictions. Do you think... Okay, do Ooh, you think we're... Time. Okay, do okay. you think we're going to leave on March 29th, 2000 and this year? Almost no chance. Part two. We're not going to leave? No. Or we're going to get it extended for a bit longer? Oh, and what's the end goal? Do you think we'll end up staying in the... Is that what you're asking? I'm, I'm saying... Do I think we'll end up in the EU all, t- all along? Um, no, I... Because it does seem like we're just going to do Brexit. But um, do you think we're going to extend it so we get more time to talk about it? Definitely. Or do you think we're just... Definitely. Well, no we've seen Brexit this government filibuster and delay everything to its own ends anyway. That's true. And actually, on, was it November 14th, Theresa May was like, now nah, we will do this deal, no deal, or no Brexit at all. That's the first time we've heard no... that in there. Yeah. I think we will leave by the 29th of March you next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my, my feeling is 
there's this artificial hurry. We're like, we've got to do it by the 29th. Why do we have to do it by the 29th? If we leave by the 29th, it'll be Theresa May's deal. Yes. That's what we're thinking for the next uh, three months. Uh, it's all might be moot anyway, because then the few years the EU's going to implode, because the French are going to come out and the Germans are going to come out. If they do. If, if we uh, do. We, I, well, we, we don't know enough about German and French politics to really say. Um, I don't, because they have revolutions all the time Ooh, in if France. You, yeah, if you think we're agitators, look at the French. I mean, this conversation might be moot next week. Yeah. By the time this po- by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be a historical What's document. What's mercurial, more mercurial, the, uh, the Brexit or the weather? Uh... Uh, but we, we better wrap this up. Thanks for listening. Welcome to 2019. There's going to be an economic crash this year, so I hope you're ready. And it's not just going to be our fault either. Anyway, thank you for listening. I've been Matt, he's been Dan, and uh, it's been fine. <laughs> See you next time.